You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Well, I'm back again, and, and it's just me again. I had some interesting responses to my seminary solo podcast interview. It's, you know, it's kind of interesting when you interview yourself. So I, th- I thought I would add a little bit more information from my dad's letters to our congressional delegation. And here's why. We're about to, and again, we're between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're about to do something in Washington that will not serve any of us well. We, we will uh, pass some kind of a continuing resolution or whatever they're going to call it, and we'll load it with earmarks just to, to get past the holidays before the new Congress sets in in January. Earmarks for pet projects, things that we really don't need. It will add to the deficit problem, and we have a history of doing this. So I thought I'd go back to, in light of that, one of my dad's letters. Dear Congressman Pomeroy, this is dated May 6, 1993. I'm very disappointed that it takes seven weeks to get a response to my letter. I would appreciate hearing from you. By the way, Congressman Pomeroy is a friend. I've known him a long time. Used to run with him. Uh, in Bismarck. And then he has this handwritten note, June 14, 1993. When you have time, please read and answer my letter of March 23rd, 1993. Here's the response. June 1st. Dear James, last Thursday I voted for H.R. 2246, the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Reconciliation Act of 1993. This was the most difficult vote I have cast. By the way, if you do some research on this, some will claim when this was passed without support from one party, this was the last time we ended up with a balanced budget. There was a lot of gimmickry, as there always is in Washington, but that's somewhat accurate. And it was very, very short-lived for a variety of reasons. This was the most difficult vote I have cast so far as a member of Congress, but to do otherwise would have been irresponsible. As I have heard from so many North Dakotans, it is time for our country to put its financial affairs in order. And while further improvements must be made in the bill, on the Senate side, it is our best shot at this great challenge. H.R. 2246 represents the largest deficit reduction package in U.S. history. When savings from discretionary spending are included, we will have achieved approximately $500 billion in deficit reduction over the next five years, with half coming from spending reductions and half coming from revenue increases. By the way, that is such an insulting, word coming from a policymaker that makes decisions to increase taxes. Revenues come from taxes. So it really should have said half coming from 
tax increases. In addition, H.R. 2246 creates a budget enforcement provision to control entitlement costs <laughs> that soar over budget. Remember that thing I said last time about all these unfunded liabilities that are coming? Boatloads of them. And it establishes a deficit reduction trust fund within the Treasury to permanently set aside all of the bill's savings for deficit reduction. Again, this is June 1st, 1993. I worked hard for an acceptable alternative to H.R. 2246, but the options were even worse. For instance, Ross Perot wants a 50-cent gas tax. I'm going to pause here. That same year is the last time, the last time we raised the federal fuel or gas tax. That's the last time shortly after this letter was written. So almost 30 years ago is the last time we raised the federal gas fuel tax, which is how we fund repair of interstate highways and those roads in our cities that connect to them. That's a whole other story for another time. So actually, Ross Rowe was probably right. We raised it four cents 30 years ago. Four cents. So how are we repairing all those? Where's that money magically coming from? Incidentally, now that we're all subsidizing those that, by the way, I love electric vehicles. It's not a vehicle for me yet. But how are we subsidizing all this electrical vehicle thing that we're doing in the name of climate change? Well, we're all paying for it. We're paying for, we're subsidizing the stations where you can stop and charge them. We're subsidizing the purchase so because when you buy one, you get this tax credit. So we're all paying for it. We've never done something like that before in the name of transportation. Begs the question, how the heck are we going to fix the roads? If we're not buying gas and we've never raised the gas, how are we going to fix the roads? It's just something I think about every once in a while. As it is, H.R. 2246 contains many painful spending reductions. For example, farm programs will be reduced. Yes, we subsidize farming. Veterans will pay an additional 0.75 cents on most VA home loans. And military, civilian, retirees, and active employees we'll see their cost of living adjustments reduced and in some cases eliminated. Our deficit problems are simply too big to be met through spending cuts alone. I just laugh every time I hear that. And, and why is that? It's because we spend too much money on too many things we don't need. We create programs that eventually develop departments that we don't need, that create almost no value to people in the country. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat. We just keep doing this over and over and over again. Definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. We could eliminate every federal expenditure interest payments on our national debt, accept interest payments on our national debt, Social Security, Medicare, and defense, and still have a federal deficit. This would mean that there would be no federal support 
for North Dakota farmers, cancer research, college students, veterans, small business loans, long-term nursing care, home care, immunizing children, national parks, or federal prison systems, to name just some of the programs that would be gone. And here, I guess it just this is something they just do all of the time. Alternatively, we could put our biggest budget areas, Social Security and Medicare, on the chopping block for steep reductions. Always go there. Increased taxes are also a matter of equity. If we only focus on spending cuts, what we really are saying is that the rich should not be asked to sacrifice. Pause. 40% of people in this country don't pay taxes. The top 1-2%, I guess it's almost 10, pay the majority of them. They already make sacrifices. That's so insulting. They go there all of the time. Keep taking other people's money. You're eventually going to run out of it. The rich receive benefits from tax deductions, while middle and low-income Americans receive assistance through services. Thus, the only way to have well-off individuals bear their fair share of deficit reduction is to use the tax code. In other words, just screw them some more. The tax increases are, for the first time in a long time, concentrated on those Americans who can more easily pay them and not on the average Americans. You know, I could keep reading this letter, but it's just so insulting. It's just so insulting. It's the same old story over and over and over again. The increased taxes and reduction in benefits, which the Deficit Reduction Program package calls for must be balanced against the consequences of not acting on the deficit. For example, I'm just jumping ahead now, a $15,000 car, which is almost a cheap used car today, financed at 8%, financed at 8%, remember what was happening back then? Instead of 7 would cost a family $90 more a year. A median-priced home financed at eight instead of seven would cost about $800 more a year. However, under this bill, a typical middle-income family could easily save more interest payments as the result of this plan that they would pay in increased taxes. Let me comment specifically on the BTU tax. I don't like it because I believe it hits North Dakota harder than other areas. I fought to improve this bill for farmers and won a partial exemption from the BTU tax for on-farm use of fuel. I will be working with Senators Conrad and Dorgan in the coming days on further scaling back the BTU tax or dropping it altogether. Historically, the Senate has always treated rural America better because each state has an equal vote. Well... I mean, read the last paragraph. The next time I vote on this bill will be after the House and Senate differences are ironed out. This will be the crucial vote because it will concern whether to enact the bill into law. Hopefully at that time, I will have a package that preserves the spending cuts and deficit reduction while overhauling the BTU tax. That would be a package all of us could live with. Sincerely, Earl Palmer, a member of Congress. Gas tax, 1993, shortly after that letter was written, the last time we raised it, 
and it was four cents 30 years ago, approaching 30 years ago. We're going to be leaving Washington, or those representatives uh, in the Congress will be leaving Washington before the Christmas break. They'll ram something through. It'll be loaded with earmarks for stuff we don't need, but people want, like subsidizing electric vehicles. I just want to add one little other thing here that I found really very interesting. My dad was in the insurance business. He knew healthcare very, very well. He wrote Mrs. Clinton a letter. Dear Mrs. Clinton, he wrote the original one April 22nd, and then, excuse me, February 25th, and the second one April 22nd. In the USA Today of 2893, I read the following. Lawmakers also get a generous benefits package, pensions, in-house medical care, free until last year, now now $520 annually. In other words, it was free, but now they have to pay $520 for it. My medical care annual premium is $6,135. That's back in 1993. Now you tell me who is making a sacrifice, paying contribution when it comes to paying health insurance premiums. In the article, is excuse me, is the article correct that members of Congress pay $520 annually for their medical insurance? Mrs. Clinton, I look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, James R. Seminary. Eventually, he received a postcard with a prepared message on it. Dear friend, Thank you for writing and sharing your views on health care reform. President Clinton is committed to reforming our nation's health care system, controlling runaway costs and providing security to every American. I love that, controlling runaway costs. If anybody in Washington that would know absolutely nothing about controlling runaway costs, it would be the president who never had a job outside of public service, never had a private sector job, never wrote on the front of a check. Most of them haven't. Or most of the people in Congress, many of them have never had significant jobs, if any, outside of politics. Very few of them have written on the front side of a check. Controlling runaway costs and providing security to every American family. It won't be easy, and it won't happen overnight. But with your help, we will bring costs under control while maintaining quality medical care and preserving the choice so important to all of us. Thank you again for your views and your support, Hillary Rodham Clinton. The reason I found this interesting is that that was one of her deals. She was leading the charge on the healthcare discussion of the day, having a lot of secret meetings, if you recall, Uh, that she never had to answer to anybody for. I'm not picking on her necessarily. I'm just saying, when you have this role, you've accepted this responsibility, and you had a very specific letter with very specific questions addressed to you, you pawn it off on your husband, the president, and you don't even answer the questions. That's part and parcel what's wrong with uh, with politics today, both sides of the aisle. 
When people take the time to write letters, make inquiries, you should be answering them. If you do that with enough people and you do that long enough, they're going to get pissed. And I think we're getting pretty close to that, where people are really, really frustrated with how all of this is working. You know, we still have the greatest country in the world. That's why so many people are trying to get here, legally and otherwise. I think it's about time that folks remember, and I say this as someone that was in public service for 10 years, participated in literally thousands of public meetings, had many, many requests of me, many emails and texts and letters for information, all of which, for the most part, I say that that way for a variety of reasons, were answered. Why did I say it that way? If somebody was just absolutely hostile, using vulgar language, and attacking me personally, it's not a letter that I responded to. I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it. Well, I've rambled on long enough. I don't know if I'm going to do this again before the end of the year. I'm very concerned for all of us. I, I think there is cause for us to be concerned about how we're spending money. You just can't keep doing what we're doing and expecting this is a good thing, by the way. No, you couldn't do this in your home. You, you can't raise the debt ceiling in your home. You, you, you can't do that with your business. The bank's going to call the note. You have the money or you don't. We just have to stop doing what we're doing. And, and, and one other thing, going back to part of Congressman Pomeroy's letter, and you can't keep going to people that have more money than some others and telling them they should sacrifice or they should pay their fair share. There isn't, there isn't something I hear that irritates me more when somebody says the rich aren't paying their fair share. That's insulting, and it's, it's, it's offensive, and it's not accurate. It's just not accurate. I know some of you would probably like to take me to task on that, but it's just, I just look at my father. My father was a very successful person, and he made a significant income for the majority of his, of his career. And he, I would watch him with frustration on his face when he would write out his quarterly statement and check and mail it his quarterly estimate and check. He was always paying more than his fair share, by the way. Well, you're probably going to hear this before Christmas. I'll leave you with this. Have a blessed Christmas. Have a bountiful, productive New Year. My hope is that 2023 is good for you. It's a blessing to you and your family and your loved ones. Thanks for listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. Love y'all.